For journalists all over the world, reporting true crime stories is a day-to-day -day reality. But what do journalists do when that reality is so dark that it feels like we've reached a new depth of human cruelty? For the first time, a network of 600 of these journalists have invited us into the darkest recesses of their world. They've shared stories of some of the most disturbing cases ever reported, past and present. From Podomo and Vespucci, this is The Darkness Vaults. A note to listeners. Due to the nature of their subject matter, some stories discuss suicide, sexual assault, and may include detailed descriptions of violence. Please take care while listening. Murdered in the Highlands. For 12 hours, the police had been searching a bed and breakfast on the quiet edge of a lake in the Scottish Highlands. Pulling up carpets and peering into the blocked-up chimney, they still couldn't find any trace of Fiona Torbett. Their best technology had failed them as well. They'd been using ground-penetrating radar all around the property, but couldn't spot anything suspicious on the screen. Still... They couldn't shake the feeling that something was very wrong at Greenan House. When they'd returned to the quaint little bread and breakfast nine months after Fiona's disappearance, they found that the whole place had been redecorated, as if someone was trying to mask a secret. They decided to dig deeper. Finally, in a shower room on the lower floor of the B&B, they ripped up the floorboards of a cupboard, Stuffed deep down below was a black plastic bag, and inside they found a single slipper. It was Fiona's. So now they had a suspect, but a mystery remained. Where was the body? The last time anyone saw Fiona Torbett alive was on July 7th, 1993. She was 62. She had travelled from Glasgow to Holiday in Invernet, a small village on the north shore of Loch Duich, in the western highlands of Scotland. Fiona was no stranger to the area. She'd been coming here since the 1980s to Bag Hills. That's the nickname given to the hobby of reaching the summit of all the hills on a given list. And there are plenty of lists. Hillbaggers obsessively classify the bumpy terrain of Scotland and give each type of terrain a name, like a Monroe, which is a hill with a summit of at least 3,000 feet. It's an addictive hobby, and Fiona was as committed a bagger as you'll ever find. She kept a detailed diary, describing her hikes over hundreds of hills, noting every bird that she spotted and every animal who crossed her path. Fiona was particularly interested in hills with summits of between 2,000 and 2,500 feet. By the early 90s, she'd compiled a list of 244 hills across the Scottish Highlands and published the list in an outdoors magazine. 
Her work was so scrupulous, she often corrected the official land survey records. The most prominent hills in the area around Invernet are the Five Sisters. The hills take their name from a legend, which tells the story of a family of seven sisters. One night, after a terrible storm, two Irish princes washed up to shore, and the youngest two sisters fell in love with them. But the father of the family wouldn't allow them to marry until the older five sisters were married first. As it turned out, the princes had five brothers and promised that they would send them for marriage if they could return to Ireland with the younger sisters. The father agreed and said farewell to his youngest two daughters, who travelled to Ireland and became princesses. The older five sisters dutifully watched out to sea, waiting for their own husbands to arrive. Time passed and the men failed to appear. But still, the five sisters were vigilant, never taking their eyes off the sea. Eventually, they turned into hills and waited for all eternity. Every time Fiona came to the area, she stayed at Griennan House Bed and Breakfast in Invernet, that was managed by the Macmillans, an ageing Scottish couple. Griannon House was the perfect base for hillbagging. Taking advantage of the long summer days, Fiona would rise early, pack water and a jar of nuts and cereal, and head out for the hills like the five sisters. The terrain wasn't easy to hike. The hills are prism-shaped pyramids with dangerously sudden drops, but the rewards are remarkable. This is a place where golden eagles soar and red deer and feral goats scatter at your approach. If your lungs can take the punishment of the ascent, you're given a brilliant view of Loch Duich, with the islands and the sea beyond. You might want to stand here forever, like the five sisters themselves, waiting for a prince who will never come. When the light would start to fade, Fiona would hurry down the rocky paths back to Grianan House and soak her aching feet while enjoying a home-cooked meal. But one day, she didn't return. Night fell and the other guests at Grianan House began to worry. Perhaps Fiona had got lost in the hills, or worse still, perhaps she'd been injured. If she'd broken an ankle, she might still be out there, unable to move, calling for help as her food and water dwindled away. But when morning came, and she still hadn't returned, it was clear that something terrible had happened. A missing persons report was issued, and the police notified her husband. Fiona had married Dr. Thomas Torbett in 1960, recently retired from his position as a gynaecologist at the Southern General Hospital in Glasgow, he was on a sailing holiday when he received word that his wife was missing. The ensuing search was one of the largest ever mounted in the Scottish Highlands. A helicopter was deployed to take aerial photos of the region. They were then analysed for any sign of the lost hillbagger. 
a team of police divers plunged into the cool waters of Loch Duich, thinking perhaps she had drowned. And packs of search and rescue dogs sniffed the summer grass, trying to pick up a trail. Other hillbaggers checking off lists of their own would arrive at an inn, hoping to stay the night, only to find that all the rooms were booked by police. Some even searched for Fiona themselves. They used their expert knowledge of the paths to try to recreate the route she might have taken, scanning the hilltops through their binoculars, looking for something, anything that might provide a clue. But the search produced nothing. The police were totally baffled. It was as though Fiona had hiked into the hills and turned into one of the five sisters herself. On the property of Grianen House sat a small caravan. It was the home of Donald Macmillan Jr., the 31-year-old son of the couple who owned the bed and breakfast. Donald was one of the familiar faces who greeted Fiona every time she visited Invernet. When police questioned him about the day of Fiona's disappearance, Donald gave them some startling information. According to him, Fiona had met a man in the nearby village of Invermorriston and fallen in love with him. At the age of 62, she'd suddenly desired to start a new life with her Prince Charming and decided not to tell her husband. Donald told them that on the morning of July 7th, Fiona got into the man's car and drove off. She'd promised to return in a few days to retrieve her Volkswagen Golf, but never bothered. Love had stolen her away. Donald had once dreamed of escaping the quiet shores of Loch Duich. In 1979, he joined the army, serving in the Royal Armoured Corps. He was posted in Germany and Northern Ireland, but he never fitted in with his comrades. When he went absent without leave, he was imprisoned in an army detention centre for six months. After that, he left the service and returned to the safety of Invernet. When he couldn't find any honest work of his own, his parents gave him small jobs at Greenan House, fixing appliances and tending to the garden. But there were rumours about Donald. People in the village would whisper things about him, but nothing was ever confirmed. A few women felt that he followed them along Invernet's rainy streets, his figure vanishing between the dark green trees or in the swirling fog the moment they turned around. Other women received letters from Donald, letters they found frightening. They weren't aggressive, exactly, and they definitely weren't sexy. Instead, they were filled with sickly sweet romantic phrases, the dreadful poetry of a deluded lover. And at least one woman believed she saw Donald outside her house late at night. A square of pale yellow light from the window hit the grass outside, and the disgraced veteran with his greasy ponytail hovered just beyond it, not quite seen, yet powerfully there. Police heard these reports, but while they were embarrassing, they hardly connected to Fiona's disappearance. After all, Fiona was 62 years old, and Donald was half her age. 
As far as they were concerned, peeping toms usually preferred women their own age or younger. But they still couldn't make sense of Donald's story. When they questioned Fiona's friends, none of them could believe it either. Fiona had never expressed any desire to leave her husband, let alone overturn everything and begin a new life. She was a methodical woman, not given to impulse, the sort of person who took a list of a hundred Scottish hills and bagged them one by one. Yet it was the only lead they had, and the search produced nothing else. Summer turned to autumn, the five sisters burned orange and brown. And then winter came, bringing a dusting of snow across the summits. A long silence fell over the hills. In spring, the countryside turns green again. The trees drip with rain, the frosted earth thaws out, and tourists return to Invernet. It was in March of 1994, and Muriel Mackenzie of Glasgow was hiking the area when she noticed something strange in the undergrowth of a weeping willow tree. The objects were soggy. They'd probably been there all winter, only now becoming visible. But they were clearly the belongings of a woman. There was a purse containing bank cards and a single slipper. Muriel hadn't followed the story of Fiona Torbett's disappearance, but she still knew something was very wrong here. She reported her discovery to a forestry worker, who immediately contacted the police. By now, the investigation had stalled for nine months. People in the village had come to suspect that what Donald Macmillan had said must be true. Fiona probably had run off with another man. After all, who doesn't harbour a dream of just dropping everything and starting anew? Fiona was a woman who climbed to the highest summits of Scotland. Who knows what she saw up there? A distant land? A better world calling out to her? The rumours only intensified when Fiona's husband sold their home in Glasgow. That didn't seem like the gesture of a man waiting for his wife's return. The doctor always maintained that their marriage was happy, but maybe he knew more than he let on. Maybe he suspected that when Fiona set out for Invernet on that morning in July, he'd never see his wife again. But the discovery made by Muriel Mackenzie changed everything. You might leave your husband, but you didn't leave your purse. What had been considered a missing persons investigation for nine months was suddenly reclassified. This was a homicide. The police were now looking for a body and a killer. They circled back to Grianan House, the last place Fiona was seen alive. It had been a long time since they probed the bed and breakfast, and a surprise was waiting for them. In the intervening months, the entire house had been redecorated and recarpeted. Donald 
had made the renovations himself. Just as the snow had covered Fiona's belongings, so the house's new appearance seemed to speak to something buried. But Donald said it was a totally innocent coincidence. He repeated his story about Fiona taking off with another man. Why didn't they believe him? When the police continued to interrogate him day after day, Donald complained to the press, saying he was being persecuted. And maybe he was. Police used ground-penetrating radar all around the property but found nothing, and an exhaustive search of the house itself yielded no new information. That's when they came upon the shower room downstairs. Almost in a fit of exhaustion, as if fed up with one dead end after another, they went to the extraordinary length of tearing up the floorboards and the cupboard. The decision paid off. A black plastic bag was hidden down there, and inside was a slipper that matched the one found beneath the weeping willow. There was also a diary, Fiona's diary. The handcuffs bit into Donald Macmillan's wrists. He was under arrest for murder. But what was his motive for killing the 62-year-old hillbagger? And even more importantly, if Donald was a killer, where on earth was his victim? When the investigators searched the caravan where Donald made his home, they found some clues. There was a stack of pornographic magazines, each of which Donald had annotated with a pen, grading the various models. The police noticed a detail about Donald's rating system. The younger models were given scores of between 10 and 20, but the older models, the women of over 40 years old, were given scores as high as 500. There was also something revealing in Fiona's diary. The very last entry read, Strange letter awaited me from Donald Macmillan, embarrassing to cope with. Could these clues be connected? Donald, for his part, argued that the police had everything in a twist. Yes, he was attracted to older women. He even admitted that he sometimes stole women's underwear from neighbouring washing lines and dressed up in it to become as close as possible to the objects of his desire. But there was nothing sinister about his behaviour or the entry in Fiona's diary. According to him, Fiona had invited him to go hill-walking. The plan was to climb the Five Sisters together. The so-called letter Fiona described was just a brief note he'd written and taken up to her room on a tray, accepting her invitation. There was nothing offensive or threatening in it, he told police. Whatever the letter might have said, it was never recovered. But by now, Donald's story had thoroughly unravelled. For decades, Fiona had kept a detailed account of her life in her diary. Yet somehow, this legendary new lover she'd met, 
this prince who inspired her to run away wasn't mentioned at all. Meanwhile, the stress of the investigation was taking its toll on Donald's aging parents. Their livelihood had been torn up by police, and in a close-knit community like Invernet, the gossip could be suffocating. Together, they pleaded with Donald to abandon his lies. Tell the police where Fiona is, and maybe they'll show mercy. At last, Donald agreed. He drew a diagram showing the location of the body. When police examined the diagram, they almost assumed it was another of Donald's fabrications. They'd combed the property with radar and never found a thing, but now Donald was saying the body rested just a few yards from Grianen House. Nevertheless, they began to dig up the grass by the woodpile, and it wasn't long before their shovels hit something. It was a shallow grave, covered in firewood, coal, and sheets of metal. They pulled up the covering, and there she was. The body was wrapped in bandages, and her face masked with parcel tape. Finally, Fiona's family and friends had an answer. She had not disappeared into the hills to be swallowed up by the five sisters. She had died right here, in the safest place imaginable, a little bed and breakfast on the calm shore of the lake. Police struggled to reconstruct what happened on the day of the murder. Donald just never stopped lying. His latest story was that he and Fiona had an argument that he was in the process of calming her down when he accidentally killed her. Then he panicked, not knowing what to do, and making the awful mistake of keeping her death a secret, burying her on the property and spreading lies to put police off the scent. By now, investigators knew not to trust anything that came out of Donald McMillan's mouth. His stories were about as convincing as the poems he wrote to local women in his letters. The police had a different version of events. In a terrifying struggle, Donald had overpowered Fiona and suffocated her to death. He then cut off her nightdress, intending to rape her, but something intervened. That mystery has never been solved. Regardless, he wasn't in a panic at all. He knew what he was doing when he buried her. He was covering his crime. But disposing of the body wouldn't have been easy. The ground of the West Highlands is rocky and tough. It isn't simple to dig a grave. What's more, Donald had relatives staying in a caravan near the spot where he'd buried her. Those relatives claimed to have heard nothing so Donald probably hid Fiona's body in a large plastic tank near the woodpile, then waited for the relatives to go before digging a 12-inch grave. The grave wasn't very deep, but it was deep enough to conceal her for nine painful months, away from the prying eyes of the police. 
The day after burying her, Donald went out for lunch with his relatives to celebrate an anniversary. Throughout the meal, they said he was perfectly calm. Preparing the evidence for Donald's trial, the police went through every photograph they'd taken over the course of the search. Many of them looked almost like tourist photographs, capturing the scenic beauty of the five sisters with their grassy green slopes, purple rocks, and drifting mist. But one photograph gave them chills. It was a shot of Grinan House taken from above. Donald is looking up at the helicopter, standing right where he buried Fiona. Even while awaiting trial, Donald couldn't help himself. From the cramped confines of his jail cell, he continued mailing letters to the women of Invernet, letters filled with phrases of perverse chivalry. Finally, in September of 1994, he was convicted of murder. His lawyers tried every story Donald had concocted, but nothing worked. The jury took only an hour to deliver the guilty verdict, agreeing with the prosecution that Donald's sexual fixation on older women had been the motivation. He was sentenced to a minimum of 15 years in prison. Donald had lived his whole life in disgrace, and nothing about that changed once he was inside Sockton Prison. He quickly established himself as a police informer, ratting out fellow prisoners for various perks from the warden. Just as he'd once retreated to the security of his parents in Infinite, so he always seemed to need the protection of a higher authority. And it worked for a while. He felt safe until 2006, when he received word that he would be transferred to Schott's prison. The news hit him like a thunderbolt. Housed in Schott's were many of the prisoners that he'd informed on. Vicious men, killers without conscience, waiting for the merest chance to get even with him. The anticipation became unbearable. And before leaving Sockton Prison in February 2007, Donald McMillan died of a heart attack. Among the heelbagging community, the story of Fiona Torbett has become a famous, if senseless, tragedy. One of the most prominent baggers in Scotland, Alan Dawson, who authored some of the most widely used lists of hills, decided to pay her a tribute. Before Fiona disappeared, she had been collaborating with Dawson on a list of hills between 2,000 and 2,500 feet. These hills were originally known as Marilyn's, but Dawson decided to rechristen them with Fiona's maiden name. To this day, anyone who climbs a hill of this size in Scotland has bagged a Graham. But over the years, the countryside around Invernet has erased every trace of the unspeakable tragedy that once shattered its calm. Otters play in the waters of Loch Duich. 
The cry of a merlin can be heard across the hills. Summer turns to winter and becomes summer again. And the five sisters stare out to sea. From Podimo and Vespucci, this is The Darkness Vaults. A new episode every week, wherever you get podcasts. For early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.